HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, August 12th. This is the 75th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the distinguished managing partner of a top New York City restaurant, and I will introduce him in a moment. But first, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to dress for success. Appearance says a lot. It influences how others perceive you. Successful people know that image is a part of their brand and therefore dress the part. These days, everything has become so casual. No one really dresses up anymore for work, dinner, or even theater. But that doesn't mean you have to slack. You only have one chance to make a first impression, so make it a good one. And dress to impress. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really thrilled to have my guest here. It is someone who surely knows how to dress for success. The dapper John Winterman, managing partner at Batard, an upscale Tribeca restaurant that has received many accolades, including Best New Restaurant 2015 by the James Beard Foundation. Born and raised in Indiana, John has worked in front of the house positions for such notables as Charlie Trotter, Gary Danko, and Daniel Ballou, most recently as maitre d' of Restaurant Danielle. Along the way, he became a certified sommelier and an expert in artisanal cheeses. So welcome, John. Thank you for sharing. Excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's a, it's a good way to spend a Wednesday afternoon, right? It's actually better than working. So, <laughs> so how did you, how, what inspired you to get into the hospitality industry? Um, you know, really curiosity more than anything. Uh, I like to say my mother uh, made 
made balanced meals at best, and she was able to overcook three types of meat. Um, That's a talent. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a lot I wasn't exposed to. And Southern Indiana is, is not the end of the world, obviously, by, uh, for cuisine, but uh, I, I obviously wasn't exposed to a lot. Um, I remember distinctly trying, the first time I tried sushi, as an example, the first time I tried foie gras, um, which was during my college year. So I became more curious about food. I started to become curious about wine first, which seemed a bit more mysterious, and then that sort of evolved into uh, food and hospitality and the customs of the table. Where did you go to school? Indiana University in Bloomington. Okay. I've been there once, visiting. It, it's a good town, honestly. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun, and usually if I get home to visit my parents in southern Indiana, I spend at least one night in Bloomington to ease my transition back to New York. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> so I know, I know you from Charlie Trotters. Well, we didn't actually know each other there, but what brought you to Trotters? Because after college, did you move to Chicago? No, after college, I actually moved to Colorado. Okay. And strangely, it was an issue of Chicago Magazine years ago. I want to say like 92. And I think he was either on the cover or had a full-page spread, and he was at that point open maybe maybe four years. And, uh, you know, I think maybe at the time 30, 31 years old. And I just had really my, not my first restaurant job, but like the first inkling that I wanted to start to make this a, a um, like a real pursuit. And I, so I was reading about him and I kept up a little bit. And, you know, when I lived in Colorado, I worked for a great couple at a restaurant there called Cafe Alpine, which I don't think exists anymore. Um, but I kept this in the back of my mind and I read about him in, you know, the wine spectator and various articles. So I had done my homework a little bit about him. And so when I went to Chicago, I went with a very clear idea that I wanted to, uh, work for him. And, uh, I just kind of figured if I want to do this, I'm going to do it the right way. I didn't want to be, um, a career restaurant person in an average middle of the road restaurant that may or may not stay open. And uh, it, it was, I didn't realize at the time, but it was kind of like jumping from eighth grade to like Harvard Law. Right. <laughs> you know, but, uh, and I, I had to learn a lot along the way and I had to, you know, uh, take my bollocks like anybody else did. But um, I think it was, you know, one of the best things I've ever done. What position did you start at? Food runner. Okay. Yeah. But that, you know, Charlie was never really uh, keen on definitive roles. So the food runner meant, yes, I was cleaning restrooms. I was helping to do laundry. I was emptying waste baskets. I was polishing silverware, polishing glassware. You know, I had pretty much doing everything. Um, yeah. And it, it didn't pay a lot either. But Well, I mean, my story, which is so interesting that we didn't meet because... I was in cooking school in Chicago thinking I wanted to be a chef, and my plan was to go to Europe to travel and cook, mm -hmm. and I saw he was hiring servers front of the house, and I had more experience front than back, so I went in and got hired as a server, or right. really I was an assistant server, but um, I think that was during the period where you were in San Francisco. It, I think it, it was, This yes. was 1997, 98. But I think the... The if there's a crossover uh, between us, it's really the fact that you probably went in with a similar situation where they don't have training manuals, they don't have service manuals, and it's all it's all word of mouth. It's almost like this traditional storytelling that's handed down from a generation of servers to another generation of servers. Like this is how we do it the Trotters way. True, and I learned so much. I considered it grad school for sure. culinary arts, and having even the kitchen table 
were, you know, serving using that table that had a different menu and the whole style of service. I mean, what he was doing back then was so far ahead of anything else I had seen. And it's become a little more commonplace. But I, I value that experience so much that I got to work there. Exactly. So we didn't meet because you were you were Gary Denko at the time. I was at Gary Denko from like middle of 2001 to 2005. Okay, so you went out to San Francisco and then you came back, right? I went I, I went from San Francisco to New York actually. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I for some reason thought that you went back, but uh, so then you came here and then you got a job at Danielle? Yes. It's actually funny because <laughs> I was very focused. I knew I wanted to work for Charlie. Um, I had spoken to Gary before he opened and ended up not moving out I think in 99 and moved out in 2001. And before I went out there, he, I, I talked to him, and he said, oh, you're finally ready to come out. So I went out, and, uh, and then I was very focused. When I moved to New York, I knew I wanted to work for Danielle. So what was the same or different about all of these, these restaurateurs working for them? Because I'm, 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 I'm kind of chuckling that I'm throwing around these names because they're such high-end restaurateurs. They're, they're all very accomplished. You know what's funny is, to me, Danielle was a balance between Gary and Charlie. Uh, and they're all extremely detail-oriented, but the way Gary put his menu together was a million times different than the way Charlie put a menu together. Um, and Danielle seemed to have that sort of in-between state for me. And it was very... I, I saw, like, the best of uh, two different places I'd worked kind of happen in one, uh, where it was a combination of spontaneity, business acumen, uh, hospitality, generosity, and it seemed to be... Uh, Honestly, the whole package. And I'm not saying that Charlie or Gary lacked in any, mm-hmm. any certain area at all. Um, I just think for, for, Danielle, for working for Danielle, it wrapped it all up into one complete package for me. Is there a best piece of advice or something you learned from Danielle over the years? There is. Um, I was trying to think about this last night, how to say it, because there is a, it's a, I'm going to phrase it in a different way. Um, you know, he's very personally involved in his business, but at the same time, you have to disattach yourself because you, you, whatever business you're in, you're going to appeal to a certain range of people, and you hope you appeal to a bigger range of people than you don't appeal to, if that makes sense. Um, but he basically told me, like, if you tell everybody that you think should, you know, F off, then you're going to be out of business pretty, pretty quickly. So he disattaches himself personally from the customer base in a lot of ways because they're supporting his business. And whatever their political beliefs are or their business practices are or their relationships are or their opinions are, we don't get into that. They're your customer base. And you want to keep them, uh, you want to keep them supporting you. you know? And I think uh, he was very good at uh, coming out into the room and meeting people and Whatever his opinion was about something, he, he had no idea. You know, he, he was just gracious and hospitable, and he spent time with people. And uh, you know, and then he also knew that he didn't have to uh, necessarily be friends with everybody that was there, but he was friendly to them and hospitable to them. You know, um, to me, like I, 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 you know, you know, obviously, if you do a restaurant, we have X amount of people coming every night. You're not going to be friends with everybody. You're not necessarily going to like everybody. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. You know, that's uh, life. You know, you understand that they're supporting you. Oh, that's very good advice. And you said it well. I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> so you're at Danielle for how many years? Like almost nine, actually. Almost nine. Yeah. And then, so 
Let's talk about how Batard came about, and you met Marcus, and what... Yeah, tell me the story behind that. I met Marcus through a mutual friend of ours, Giuseppe Tintori. Okay, When awesome. Marcus was at uh, the London Hotel. And Marcus and I kept in touch, and, uh, you know, by and by, over many beers in the West Village, we... Uh, both decided that we want to venture out and figure out how to do our own thing. And that, that takes time because, you know, talking about it and actually putting numbers down on paper and getting the right advice and um, making those numbers realistic, that's that's pretty hard work, actually. And uh, you want to get to the right person and say, uh, is this work? Is this feasible? Do the numbers make sense? And you learn a lot along the way. Um, you know, one example of that was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You have to have insurance for people. You know, if like, somebody falls and slips in the kitchen. Um but it took us some time to put all this together. But we knew clearly what we wanted to do. We just didn't know exactly where or how to go about it. And perfectly honest, the city is not uh, lacking for people who will tell you they're going to invest in you. But actually getting them to do it is a different story. And <laughs> I remember talking to a friend of mine who opened a, a restaurant, a small place, uh, two years ago. And I'm not going to say what it is. But he said, you know, the original 17 people who said they were going to sign on and invest in him, like not one of them came through. They had to go through and find all new investors. Um so Marcus and I were friends for a while, and we shopped us around for a while. And um, he, you know, he knew Drew Newport from a, a, a different uh, aspect of his life. And you know, our business plan came across Drew's desk, and I think Drew's well, one of his first thoughts was that he could have written his business plan. And to him, it sort of spoke to the spirit of what he had done 30 years ago in uh, in that space in Montmartre, where we brought uh, an elegance downtown. We brought uh, a great food downtown. Uh, we brought a little, uh, a certain, a little bit of a casual style downtown without being too casual, and uh, you know, and, and with a really good price point. And there are a lot of things, a lot of parallels there um, between Batard and Montmartre. Um, it was before it, my time, or before, before my, time before as my well. dining out when he opened, time. <laughs> yeah, when he opened Montmartre, I didn't have a driver's license yet. <laughs> I've heard about it though. It's a. Uh, you know, the, the spirit was there, and we started talking, and it didn't really take long to, to realize we were all on the same page. I always joke it was like we were like all about 87% on the same page, and you know, like anything else, you you fuss and you argue and you fight, and you know, you come to a consensus about things. But it's been a it's been a great run. Absolutely, <laughs> and I don't know if I said Marcus's last name. It's Marcus Glocker. Marcus Glocker. Yes. So he's Austrian. So what's the? Is there that? What's the menu at Batard, it has um, Austrian influence, but it's really European, modern European. Well, modern European allows us to, uh, I think, have a broad broad range of flavors to choose from on the menu. And Marcus's experience, while being European, you know, he worked in Germany, he worked in London, he worked in Austria, and there are some influences there. We didn't want to get pigeonholed into being a German or Austrian restaurant. Um, and Drew, I think, has come out even recently and said, you know, continental used to be like a dirty word, but that's kind of what the cuisine really is at this point. <laughs> um, Marcus was also highly influenced by Charlie. He was influenced by Gordon. And uh, uh, he's been living in the U.S. for quite a long time. So he also uses, you know, obviously, a lot of uh, product uh, from the U.S. Um, right. Well, I, I'm due to come back. I've dined there once, and I loved it. So, Wait, how long ago was that? <laughs> I know. I said I'm due to come back. All right. And we're due to take a break. Okay. <laughs> so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage sure. Radio Network.
you want it when you get up in the morning. Cause it won't be long before you're dead and gone. No, there ain't no telling. Yeah, we all just bet. Just plant our hands. Till the last stand. So tell your mama you've been spreading honey. Won't you? Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips, including orchards, farms, and wineries. Or come by Escapemaker's Yellow Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. The guide will be updated seasonally to feature farms, wineries, and destinations in New York City, New York State, New Jersey, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. Plus, Escape Maker will offer overnight packages to these destinations so you can get the full experience. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. There's no better time to explore outside the city. Soak up the fresh air and scenery like a butterfly and support your local farmer. Log on to escapemaker.com to get inspired and make your escape through the net. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is John Winterman, managing partner at Batard, the James Beard Foundation's best new restaurant in 2015, which was amazing to be there in Chicago for those awards and, and see you guys get that. Um, and you've received a lot of awards this, this year. So I wanted to know, has, how has that affected business? Like, do you see a direct return when you, like, after the awards? You absolutely see a direct return. Um, in fact, uh, you know, part of it is you, you realize that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say this with, with the qualification that I'm not complaining about anything, um, but you you have to protect yourself or suddenly you're going to be overbooked and very much in demand where you were booked before, but suddenly you're going from 120 covers a night to 150. Um, and especially after the Beard Award, we had an amazing May and June. Um, it's been a great summer, uh, but we had to like learn a little bit about how to keep it in control. Like you, you can't take everybody into the door at once. You have to learn how to spread it out and learn how to like, you know, get people a half an hour earlier, half an hour later, or maybe try to come on a different day. Or, you know, you can only you can only see so many people at once. Um, the flip side of getting those reviews is uh, usually. Uh, we were joking, like, you know, for a couple of weeks after you get a great review, you're like the worst restaurant ever because a lot of people want to come in and see, like, is it worth it? Do they deserve it? Um, and, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, back on your heels sometimes when you hear some of the complaints that come through. Um, but overall, the people have been great and super supportive, and we've, we've had a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it shouldn't be that way like a backlash but i mean some of these i i have them listed here you had new york magazine the 12 best new restaurants uh new york times the 10 best new restaurants of 2014 and you had a glowing three-star review i mean you've had a lot of a lot of great things one star michelin michelin <laughs> working that so yeah that's that's interesting and is that your job then uh, as as managing partner to to manage the the reservations and what do you do well (laughs) yes it's part of my job is to help manage reservations but you know uh part of it is you know honestly marcus it it, it takes care of that too because we have to look and see if we're staggering the tables the way we need to we know that the kitchen can only plate so many things at once um you know we don't have the luxury of like suddenly expanding just because we have an extra 50 covers at night 
Um, so we have to be smart about how we do it. And Marcus and I talk a lot, and we have input from Drew as well. Because we, uh, you know, we all have experience, but he has the advantage of opening, having opened 38 restaurants before that. So a lot of that experience comes into play too. And uh, he's also he's also very good at when somebody's like, oh, I need a 7:30 reservation. He's great. I've got you in at 8:30. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't even bat an eye. And yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'm still a little cautious or shy about trying to push somebody a little earlier or later when you know you're in essence it's not that you're not giving them the time they want you're kind of doing them a favor because you know you have a first or second seating on the table and you don't want somebody to wait and you don't want them to wait uh obviously if you overbook the restaurant people are going to wait for food the service isn't going to keep up so this is a really a collective effort but um i i guess if i'm looking at it now i've uh i've had to pull back from being the maitre d and really more into a managing partner so uh, it was a, a little bit of a tough transition because I'm used to being the maitre d'. You know, I'm used right. to thinking about the seating and greeting the guest. And I get to the point now I can't get to every table. Or I might not be in the floor exactly at 5.30. Um, and being the managing partner, I do have to make sure that, uh, you know, in conjunction with our controller, the payroll is in on time. We have to talk about uh, the benefits which we might offer, which, you know, honestly, we started offering health insurance to the staff in January. Um, have to make sure that the, the floor is staffed and the hiring and, uh, and uh, application process and looking for staff. And, you know, these are all like the sort of behind the scenes on romantic aspects of being a managing partner. But, you know, my responsibility not only is to fill the restaurants, but make sure we stay relevant and mm-hmm. we keep the restaurant staffed and we have the proper uh, service procedures or manuals or trainings or tastings to make sure everybody uh, keeps up on what we're doing. Right. With customers coming in, because you have the choice between two, three, four course uh, mm-hmm. menus, what, what's most popular? <laughs> Honestly, uh, probably now four course. Okay. I did the four. I know you did. Uh, but, you know, we, <laughs> I was we, going for it. We, we, there's a psychological thing with the menu there, and we used to have it sort of, you know, uh, untitled. It was, it was uh, untitled in that we didn't list appetizers and starters. It was just there's eight dishes up above and then a space and then eight dishes below. And, you know, a lot of people were doing two and three courses. So we, you know, Marcus pulled out, I think, five items. So now there's clearly the top section, the middle section, and the main section, and then the desserts. And that just extra line, for some reason, that extra blank space, like psychologically, people are like automatically ordering a middle course. It's kind of amazing how that works. And it's, you know, I know the kitchen gets hit sometimes because we're selling a lot of food. But at the same time, we don't. I told them like we can't just go out and just downsell people either. It's a good like problem. Yeah, if, if they want to eat the food, they want to eat the food, and then that's, we shouldn't complain about that. It's fun, you know. It's you see how many sometimes of certain items we're selling, and it's sort of fascinating to look at it behind the scenes because I, I never really looked at it mm-hmm. at Danielle or, or Gary Danko or for that matter Charlie. Like they were selling X amount of tuna, you know. But now we I have to look at it from a, a, a different angle. Um, and it's 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 sort of interesting to see what people order and how they order now that we just put that extra space in the menu. What about the name, Batard? Um, you know, before Drew got involved, Marcus and I, it, it, when we shopped around the business plan, we didn't have a name. And we sort of admired the idea that, you know, some restaurants or bars would open and they would kind of look back into what the history of that space was. And, you know, sometimes they would choose a name based on what was there. And it became pretty clear that uh, when we were at the space uh, that was Montmartre, you know, Drew happened to mention Batard, you know, which sort of kept in the theme with the progress there, Montmartre to Courtone to Batard. Um, but it happened to, you know, 
since there is a vineyard called Betard Marmoshe, it happened to just sort of fit hand in hand. It happened to dovetail, I guess is the right word. Um, and it doesn't hurt the fact that we're all kind of, you know, complete bastards anyway, <laughs> which is a literal meeting. But Nah, I, I thank you for the temporary tattoo that I can, that is sitting here for me to, 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 uh, to use at some point. I'll have right. to decide where to put it. <laughs> it's a batard tattoo, it, if I'm not being clear. <laughs> put it somewhere that you don't mind it being for three days. Yeah, okay, I will. Let me ask you my questions from my guest last week. I had on Jimmy Carboni of Jimmy's Number 43 mm-hmm. and Chef King Fujanakong of Kuma Inn and Uminam. They recently launched Tito King's Kitchen at Jimmy's. Right. Okay, so King asked, how do you handle rowdy guests at Batard? You know, I thought about that uh, when you emailed me this this question. I thought, uh, how am I going to answer this? Because Batard really... It's not a rowdy restaurant. It's an energetic restaurant, uh, and you have uh, a full room of people having a great time. I haven't really had to deal with a rowdy guest, but then my bartender reminded me of a friend of mine that had come in that I used to work with, and he he got up on top of the bar. uh, Danielle? (laughs) No, it wasn't Danielle. It wasn't. Danielle would have like sprayed people with champagne in addition, but no, my buddy That's got his on. That's his thing. That's his thing. You know. I mean, not not in the same sense, right? As I joke. But we, uh, you know, it was kind of funny. Kind of encourage it because I don't want the people to get the impression that we're a staid, you know, a stiff upper lip type of restaurant. Um, I, I think the staff there is young, and we can have some fun, and the the food is exciting, and uh, we have a really wide range of people there, so we do encourage. Uh, people to come in and have a good time it's not it's not a mausoleum you know we don't want it to be a quiet restaurant um we don't certainly don't want it to be a super loud restaurant which is some criticism we dealt with here and there um but we do want it to be energetic so you know why i don't necessarily encourage rowdiness i do encourage it right. a little bit you know shout out to glenn coben he worked with you on the design right he did yes yeah. i like glenn and um before I ask my second question, another segue question is: You get a lot of celebrities, right? I mean, is there someone? I see the I see your Instagram, you know, pictures in the in the kitchen. Is there anyone you've been totally starstruck by, or um, you know, that you know, uh, probably, or, or is it all just customers having dinner? I'm going to sound like a jaded ass on this one. I don't really get starstruck. That's that's cool. Um, I, I I actually might get a little starstruck if a a girl come a a girl came in. Um, I sort of admire him as a, a travel and food writer. Um, there's a few people I wish would come in and they haven't yet. Um, and there's some people that have surprised me to be uh, really interesting people. I'm, you know, I, I'm not necessarily going to name names. I know there are a few pictures on Instagram. Um, the one that we kind of wish he had dined there, he came in late just to have a glass of wine, was Marco Pierre White. And maybe I got a little starstruck on that one. Okay. No, mainly because I walked around the corner on the bar. I'm like, my God, it looks like Marco Pierre White. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> Great. Okay. My question from Jimmy is, pick your favorite dish on the menu and pair three drinks with it. Um, you know, the favorite word, I'm going to be uh, a little bit cagey about this. I don't have a favorite dish. Yeah. Um, I, I have a couple of ideas in mind, though. We have a sweetbread dish right now that's amazing. It's, a lot of people have loved it. It's done with uh, cucumber and a little lemon and garbanzos. It's really, it's a really fresh, uh, for sweetbreads, that is a dish for the summer. It's a, I think a really great flavor. Um, and I was looking through a wine by the glass selection, which is very strong, but you know, this one for sweetbreads, I'd have to go in and say, uh, we've got a Chablis, the Abuto from Ravenot 2010, which is really stellar right now. I might have to, uh, recommend spoiling yourself a bit on that sweetbread course. 
So I think those two go hand in hand. Okay. Um, Sounds good to me. We do have the schnitzel that was off the menu for a while and sort of a perpetual special. Uh, Marcus put it on the menu as a permanent thing uh, some time ago. Um, we started selling a Berliner Weiss. Uh, it was called, it's 1809 by, I think, Professor Bream. It's a 500 ml bottle. It's a great beer, and it's like the, the honestly the perfect drink with that schnitzel. Um, and the other thing I'm going to mention is, uh, you know, a lot of people don't drink them, but we have a great schnapp selection. You know, the traditional Austrian-German schnapps, the fruit brandies, the Odevies. Um, and I think a, a great way to finish a meal there is to, to do one of those and uh, really uh, maybe push yourself a little bit and test a boundary and see what you think of, of a, uh, an Austrian schnapps. Great. That was a tough question, but you had no problem with it. I thought about it for 24 <laughs> hours. Yeah, I'll give you, give you a little cliff notes on the show. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take another break here and come back and do my speed round game and talk some industry news with John. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Just for me, girl, please don't give none away. Let it get sweeter by the day. Oh, won't you save it, baby, won't you save it? Oh, won't you save it all for me? Save all your cherry jam. Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam? Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam? Just for me, girl. Please don't give none away. Let it get sweeter by the day. Oh, won't you save it, baby? Won't you save it? Oh, won't you save it all for me? We are back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is John Winterman. It is fine for, time for my speed round game. So what this is, John, is I name two things and you just pick your preference. Okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? I'm on the fence about that one, but I'm heading toward the all-inclusive charge. You've been very speedy, fast, and excellent at this game, so I give you that one. That one's a a very tough one. So, okay. Jackets or no jackets required? I would love for more restaurants to require jackets. Yeah, it's kind of gone out. The Jen Watson or the Jen Watson? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a tough one. Can I have Jen Watson holding a Jen Watson? Yes, you may. Okay. (laughs) For those that don't know, the Jen Watson is a drink on uh, Batard's menu named after Jen Watson, who is a mutual friend. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? I have to say Brooklyn now. I live here. Ooh. Very good. Wow. You you really sped through that. Most people get stuck on all of them. <laughs> well, you said literally it's a speed round. Yeah, so I wonder it is. But literally people 
don't they don't hear that word. Right. It turns into a slow round. But, okay. But that was great. Because now we have time to talk industry news. <laughs> okay, so today in the New York Times, Pete Wells reviewed Chevalier in Midtown. He gave it two stars. This is a new place at the Baccarat Hotel and Residences with Chef Shay Galante. And I actually did one of my solo dining experiences there at the bar a while ago mm-hmm. and enjoyed it. But it is pricey. Um, Two courses, $74, or three courses, 96 I did the two course. Right. I really enjoyed it, but um, it seemed from this review that he, he enjoyed it too, but he kind of wasn't sure if it found its identity and, and wasn't sure why it was um, dubbing itself as a brasserie. Well, I think you touched on what I was going to say. Was the one thing I took from that was the, uh, the identity parts, and, uh, you know, it's... It was a very good review, I think. They probably were honestly shooting for another star. but And I think Shay's food over the years has always shown an identity. But, you know, I, I think I think Mr. Wells was talking about really the dining room and the style of service and what they were trying to do. And, you know, brasserie is one of, one of those unfortunate words. I thought about one of your questions that you haven't really asked me, like, you know, and I think about this a lot where people talk about concept, what's your concept? And, you know, we can go back and talk about that. We want to talk about it now. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, uh, to me, like, Batard, our concept is great food, great service. You know, we're not, you know, there's so many labels out there that we didn't want to fall into a brasserie or a bistro or a steakhouse or whatever. We just wanted to fall into, we're, we want to be a, a downtown restaurant with a, you know, a fun vibe and great food and great service. And, even last year, we weren't talking about reviews. Like everybody said, "Well, what are you shooting for?" I'm like, "Well, I'm just shooting to, at this point, get open and not suck." Like we're shooting just to, to, to do what we want to do and put it out there. And you know, Marcus's food was great, and the service is something that has to evolve, and everybody has to learn uh, consistency. Um, so there's always those stumbling blocks, but you know, I think people get hung up on those words sometimes. And you know, if if Baccarat is suffering from and this is from an outside viewpoint, suffering from an identity problem. I find it interesting that, that he brought up Charles Masson, and he feels like Charles Masson could have brought it together. So, you know, you maybe it may be a smart front of the house person is what they need to bring it together. Who knows? Um, yeah. I, I think identifying it as a brasserie, that, that might be a PR thing. And no offense to you, but... No offense taken, but I do think the Charles Maison piece of this is a it, it is a big part I think of the story in his review, and even the press because w- when this place opened, he was uh, he got as much attention as Che Galante as chef. It was right. it was a big deal that he had left La Grenouille and he was the he was leading this. And then I don't remember exactly when, but a few weeks in, it was announced that he left. And according to this review, Pete was surprised to see him there in a second visit. So I don't know. I think maybe that has to do with the identity part of it as well. It might. Uh, you mentioned their price point, and I'm, I'm not in any way uh, inside their head on this one. And I'm going to maybe say this comment tried and disassociated myself from uh, uh, what they're doing there. But I think sometimes people are afraid to identify with something that might be higher end at this point because so many casual restaurants have opened and there's so much casualization that they're they almost don't want to be regarded as a high-end restaurant but 74 dollars is not inexpensive for two courses you know but if you try to downplay what you're doing on the plate with what you're charging by making it a 
browser environment, you might not be doing yourself the right service. I mean, Baccarat isn't, you know, a brand you're going to find at any department store necessarily. It's a very high-end luxury brand. If you're identifying with that, I think you should kind of embrace it. And the feel of the place is very high-end. I mean, even I dined at the bar, and I actually popped in thinking I was just going to get a course and try it out, and then it was this two-course, three-course option. So it turned into a more expensive evening for me than I had planned. But the service style, they they came over with my fish on the bar and like filleted it for me. I think it was the first time a bar side presentation was given because uh, that's where I was. But it was um, it was very elegant, and I think the the prices, in a sense, were um, justified. I think that's amazing. I think they should embrace that. I mean, yeah. For me, not even knowing if they have dress code or not, I would uh, most definitely wear a jacket going there. I wouldn't even question it. Yeah. Just with the idea of like the luxury brand Baccarat and what they're doing in that room and the type of food that they're presenting, I, I would automatically wear a jacket and be happy about it. You know, for me, it would me be a, like a chance to like <laughs> to sort of celebrate a little bit. You know. Right. I it, sat at the bar at a restaurant in uh, London, and uh, they did the same thing. They they filleted the fish next to the bar. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I love that little sense of ceremony. That, uh-huh. it, you know, you don't. I felt that, special. Right? I you don't really get that did. That often. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to trying the restaurant. I just haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, well, you have to go. Let me know what you think. So we'll talk a little bit about another article. And on my show last week, we also talked about this this story. This article was in Fortune, entitled "Restaurants Are Facing a Serious Chef Shortage" by Eric Sherman. So this is again this 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 uh, it's not a concept this problem that there aren't qualified cooks out there and um, it's it's being written about in many places. So what's what what's your take on this? Because I've already talked. A I bit. think there's probably a word missing there. Um, there's probably a shortage of talented chefs. So I think the talent pool has been uh, diluted. Too many people going to culinary school. Too many people thinking that they're going to be like the next. Uh, Anthony Bourdain or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I know there's a there's a lot of people out there who truly are talented. And at any given restaurant, you could be working next to the grant, next Grant Ockets, and you not know it. Um, but there, there, are, I think it's just diluted. I think there are too many people out there who think they're hot shots and uh, haven't taken the time to really learn the basics. You know, the, the, to give you a car example, there's a lot of 64 mint green metallic uh, Buicks out there and not enough Corvettes. That makes I sense. love Corvettes. <laughs> right. But, you know, not everybody can do it. I mean, you know, people see somebody at the high end, whether it's a Danielle or a Thomas Keller, and what they miss is when, you know, Danielle was, a, you know, a, uh, an apprentice in his teen years, you know, and you have to learn those those basics and the knife skills and the chopping skills and the peeling and the... Uh, you have to get all that together. It's it's, you, and it takes a long time to do it, and um, they miss that. I think young kids miss that. And they miss it in any field, really, because there's uh, the examples you see of somebody successful. They're omnipresent. They're everywhere now. You can't you can't swing a garlic scape without hitting somebody who's like successful in any field, and, and you think you're just going to like leapfrog to it. It doesn't happen that way. There's very few. Yeah. Yeah, even Steve Jobs had to like start in his garage, you know. No, I agree. I think, I think, I guess I'd say our generation or the generations before kind of, 
you're paying, you paid your dues, or it seems the chefs now, the ones we're talking about, like Danielle Ballou, they they didn't just become at that level. They didn't just jump in there. They they worked very hard and many years in you know work, learning just how nice skills. So I think the TV has glamorized it, and people think you can go to cooking school and just come out and be a star chef and and be very successful and um, and be Bourdain. Everyone wants to be right. him. No, there's very few people that want to be pushed anymore. And, you know, there are, are people who are disciplined enough, but even the most disciplined person can't continue to push themselves all the time. You have to have somebody behind you, especially if you're younger and inexperienced. You know, I, I pushed back. I was pushed a lot by, by Charlie, by Gary. There were always situations I didn't agree with. Um, but, you know, not everything, in discounting any situations of abuse or any stuff like that, you know, not everything is always sugar-coated either. You know, you mm-hmm. might not be happy to hear something, but if you want to get better, you have to listen to somebody with more experience and pay attention to what they're saying. You can't be that sensitive that you you can't question yourself. If you've already predetermined what you think you know at 19 years old, you're setting yourself up for like a stunted growth. You know, you you have to be able to like open to criticism, listen to somebody with experience, and pay attention. Yes. You, you get so much just from listening and watching versus running your mouth. You know, I'm going to sound like an old curmudgeon at this point, but uh, no, what you're saying is true. I agree. So, well, we'll see. There'll probably be more articles about this. Right. But. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of comments about this one too. So. No, it's all good. Okay, we're going to take another break here. I'm going to come back and do my solo dining experience. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at Superiority Burger. Here's the rundown. The location, 430 East 9th Street in the East Village in Manhattan. The concept, compact, all-vegetarian, fast-food spot serving up popular burgers. The owner and chef, Brooks Headley. Why did I go? Because this new hot veggie place veggie burger place is all a buzz. My experience. On a beautiful Sunday evening, I arrived at at this tiny restaurant that was packed with vegetarian burger seekers. It took me a minute to decipher between who is waiting in line, who is waiting for their order, and who is waiting for one of the few seats. But once I did, I placed my order, waited, and then took it to go to nearby Tompkins Square Park, There I sat on a bench near the lovely jazz trio, providing excellent ambiance. What did I get? The superiority burger with Munster cheese, iceberg, tomato, and dill pickle, a side of burnt broccoli salad, and an Arnold Palmer noted as not too sweet. My take. The tea was just right, and the burger was delicious. It was on the smaller side, easy to pick up with one hand, and really quite tasty. And the broccoli had a nice kick from red chili. The scene, vegetable lovers, I suppose, 
perfect for vegetarians and vegans. Interesting tidbit. Chef Headley is known as a hardcore punk drummer and award-winning pastry chef who recently left his longtime position at four-star Italian restaurant Del Posto in New York City. Personal fun fact. I appreciate veggie burgers, but I'm still a carnivore at heart. The cost, $13, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, and next time I would also try the house-made sorbet and gelato. Their website superioryburger.com. Have you been there, John? I have not. I, um, I work like a galley slave sometimes. But <laughs> my partners demand a lot of me. So Okay. Well, if you're craving a veggie burger. <laughs> I don't know if that'll happen. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I more see you at the Spotted Pig having their burger. But, uh, yeah. No, it was really good. It was good. Sounds great. So. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guests are two lovely Australians. They are Executive Chef Rye Waddington of Winged Foot Golf Club and food and golf photographer Diana DeLucia. Now, I know Diana from... She took my headshots a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And actually, the, my all-in-the-industry logo of me walking down the street is a photo she took of me. So she's due to come on this show, and she's gotten into this golf and food photography. So that's a little background, but I want to see if you can ask them a question. Well, uh, I would be curious to know if they find parallels between the discipline and art that is golf and the discipline and art that is cuisine. Hmm, that's so so interesting. I I, I honestly don't play golf because I I don't know if I have the patience and aptitude to do something like that. Because it... It looks like it takes so much time and patience, and you know, it's for me. I have that ability sometimes, but I feel like if I picked up a golf club and I couldn't learn quickly, I would be very frustrated. So, oh, that's a great question. Probably the same reason I'm not a professional chef, but I work the front of the house. I have a little bit more freedom. Right. Yeah. Well, it's precision and it's uh, consistency. Consistency is the key word, I think, uh, in when it comes to it. Yeah. Okay, so that's the show. Thanks, Great. John. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's been fun. So I've been talking to John Winterman. He's the managing partner at Batard. Their website's batardtribeca.com. They're also they're a part of the Marriott Restaurant Group, which we, we didn't mention, but um, I am a fan of Marriott. You should be. <laughs> Tracy Newport came on my show last year to talk about uh, New York Restaurant Week. So. Um, yeah, I was curious about I knew he came on the show, but I was curious maybe he spent the entire time talking about the Mets. So. Um, only 44 the 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, so more, more on where to find John and Batard. So on social media, at John Winterman, at Batard NY, at Marriott Rest Group. My social media is at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes, so you can download our episodes as podcasts and listen to us anywhere, anytime. Now, we are going on a two-week summer break here at Heritage Radio. So my next live show will be Wednesday, September 2nd at 4 p.m., Thanks to everyone out there listening. Thanks to my fabulous engineer, Liz, to all of our sponsors, and to John Winterman. I'm Sherry Bayer, and uh, I hope you have a great break while we're on break. So thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.